reporters are biased, the Idaho Press Club are biased, all media, newspaper, radio. To be completely blunt here, Brian, and there are plans to expand indoctrination. That's right. Well, Idahoans are also concerned. Horror shot. That line would be moving a little bit farther west. I'm like crying. Nobody wants to Dark see. Dark money is influencing policy in our state. Well, that's not how this works. Hello there and welcome to Nowhere to Hide. I'm Brian Hyde. Today we're going to be focusing on innocence, specifically the loss of innocence or the distortion of what innocence really is. We're going to start with uh, one of the, the really hot button topics right now, that being abortion. And uh, of course, ever since the overturning of Roe v. Wade last year, Idaho's abortion laws kicked in, the, uh, the circuit breaker law kicked in, which said, okay, this is going to mean that most elective abortions, in other words, abortions of convenience, are no longer allowed in the state of Idaho. Very consistent with the conservative pro-life values for which Idaho has been known almost since it was, was declared a territory. Now, unfortunately, this, this seems to be an affront to those who, uh, for whatever reason, celebrate freedom or the, the, they consider the pinnacle of freedom to be the destruction of innocent life, primarily uh, pregnancies that are either unexpected or unwanted. But uh, let's start with the Idaho statesman setting the tone for us here. All right. Abortion is, a, is basic health care, they claim. All right. We'll explore that in a little more detail. But look at this. Nearly two-thirds of respondents said they are considering or may be considering leaving the state, nearly all because of Idaho's restrictive abortion laws. What, was it, what exactly was the question that you posed to them? And are these, are these all medical providers? Are these just, you know, people who, for whatever reason, are, are believers in, in abortion, again, as, as the high sacrament of their civic religion? What exactly does that mean? Well, the Idaho statesman is, is voicing a concern, which obviously is, is being felt keenly among the political left. And their disregard for innocent life is probably the most remarkable thing going on with with this particular issue case in point check this out this is an op-ed and this is from uh, melissa wintrow who is the uh, senate uh, i believe she's the senate minority leader in the state of idaho this was published on msnbc idaho republicans are building an abortion police state oh my that that sounds really really terrifying i mean that's that's right out of a handmaid's tale as a democratic lawmaker she says i've had a front row seat to this horrifying shift well, let's let's dig into her comments and see what she has to say. Melissa Wintrow says, not long ago, the idea of forcing rape and incest survivors to give birth to their rapist children wasn't a priority for the Republican Party. OK, hold up there, sister. How many abortions performed in the state of Idaho? In fact, it performed in the United States, for that matter. How many of them are actually because the abortion is to take care of the product of rape or incest? I mean, I, I would love to know an answer. I, I'm not doubting that occasionally it does happen, but I think it's probably a tiny number, maybe a fraction of a percent compared to the number that are simply done for the sake of convenience. I don't want to be pregnant. I can't deal with this right now. I'm going to go take care of this. There's a, there's a world of difference here. In one case, a crime has been committed that resulted in a conception. And by the way, I, I still maintain that uh, you don't make you know that wrong become right by terminating the product of that conception. You don't, you know, terminate an innocent life. There are other, other options and, and a, you know, plenty of people waiting for adoptive children that would gladly take that child and raise it. But that's beside the point. The idea that, oh, yes, the GOP is all about forcing rape and incest survivors to give birth to their rapist children. It's, it's hyperbole writ large. And she says there was even some sort of basic human rights line that GOP politicians were hesitant to cross, even though they pushed right up to it. 
She says two major hospitals have stopped offering labor and delivery services in the past month. By the way, that is true, but not because just because of abortion. It's because they are serving a clientele that does not call for those services. In other words, they they don't need a full-time OBGYN department because it's primarily right retirees moving into these areas and those services are just not so much in demand. Sorry, but uh, that is the reality. We've lost two highly respected OBGYN specialists and more physicians are leaving the state because of laws criminalizing medical care. Okay, I understand that there are some very good people who work within the medical industry, but there are also uh, some Dr. Mangala wannabes that uh, have really tested the limits of, of med- medicinal, <laughs> medicinal ethics. So there may be some people, I'm just advancing this idea, there may be some people that maybe we would be better off without in the state. If, if really, if this is the measure of, you know, what constitutes, you know, their willingness to work in Idaho. Well, if I can't terminate innocent life, if I can't uh, celebrate abortion, then I want nothing to do with this state. Okay, well then find some place that you do and let those doctors and those healthcare providers who actually do care about life, let them feel welcome here. She says, Idaho has become one of the most hostile work environments for physicians in the country, further exacerbating a physician shortage that was already the worst in the country. Again, was that really about abortion or does that have more to do with pay or something like that? I, you know, I don't know the answer, but I I think this is an oversimplified version from Melissa Wintrow. She says, in recent years, the extreme right, oh, here we go, (laughs) hang on, the extremists are at it, has blasted through that line and converted the issue of abortion care into something sinister. I'm sorry, abortion care, you can't even call it what it is, just simply abortions, has converted abortions into something sinister. And I mean, look, I don't know why why we would find anything in, sinister about uh, destroying innocent life. I don't know why we would regard the people who aspire to that kind of health care as the bottom feeders of the medical industry. But, uh, wow, here it is. Somehow we've turned it into something that's a negative. How could that be? It's because there's an innocent life at stake, plain and simple. She doesn't see it. But, uh, but some of us do. Spying on doctors and making the specter of a big government police state, patients, even rape victims, at the behest of militants who want to define in law their own beliefs at the sacrifice of the First Amendment and separation of church and state. Now, she's making the claim here that, wow, this is such a radical departure from the way things were and that, you know, society has never operated on the principle that innocent life is just that, innocent, and that we should not treat it lightly. And that that would be reflected in our system of laws and justice. She's going to learn a lesson here in a few moments, or at least I will share with you a lesson that she obviously needs to learn. The extreme, she says, has been normalized. Absolutely. And it comes waving a rainbow flag, but that's, again, for for a little bit later on in the show. As a Democratic lawmaker in the deeply Republican state of Idaho, I've had a front row seat to this horrifying shift. You can almost feel the fear. What was once beyond the pale became mainstream to Republicans. Again, that is the protection of innocent life, the affirmation that all life is precious and sacred and ought not be subject to, uh, you know, some uh, eugenic thumbs up, thumbs down kind of determination of does this life have value or not? It goes pretty quickly from the unborn to the very elderly to the, you know, the mentally ill or to to even those, you know, who have uh, mental handicaps. I mean, this this is the slippery slope she would like to step onto. Somebody gets to decide. It's it's only been about 80 years, you know, since since we saw a world war fought over someone who promoted those kind of things. But apparently it's it's long enough that 
She's forgotten, as have others, including instances of they, they voted against any ex exemptions to allow abortions, including instances of rape, incest and danger to the life of a mother. She's talking about loopholes primarily that would be exploited to, again, use abortions as a thing of convenience. In other words, she says women aren't deserving of basic health care to save their lives. It's an elective procedure. A woman is not going to die if she doesn't have an abortion. Now, there may be some rare cases where um, a woman's life could be threatened. I, in my wife's case, her mother was told, if you have this baby, it will kill you. She went ahead and had the baby, for which I'm really grateful that she did. And she went on to have two more. Well, yes, two more after that. And she's still around and kicking. So my point is, sometimes, uh, sometimes the doctors don't always get that right. And sometimes the right thing to do is trust that the, the right thing will happen. This stance is wildly out of step with Idahoans' views. A poll commissioned by the Idaho statesman, yes, I'm sure in their editorial room or something, found just 7% oppose abortion without exceptions. 51% supported in all or most cases. Depending on the questions asked and the people who were questioned, maybe maybe that's a, a valid poll. But again, we don't really govern by poll. And this is, I wish more people would at least question, is there a difference between popularity and principle? Because the, the governing ideals, at least of people like Senator Wintrow, seem to be, well, if enough of us believe it, then you have to do it. No, ma'am, we live in a representative republic, which means there are laws that bind government and that bind us as well. So it's not a simple matter of, well, we get 50% plus one, we can do whatever we want. You cannot do that. And apparently that's a good thing, because if you're willing to do this, who knows where you'd be willing to go next. The extremism, she says, has only heightened in 2023. Last week, Governor Brad Little signed two new abortion laws. The first, H-242, makes it a felony to help a pregnant minor get an abortion in a state where it's legal. If you take that child out of state without her parents' permission. There's a little uh, context for you that seems to make a pretty big difference. The most oppressive restrictions on women in the country, thanks to Idaho Republicans. So she asks, what's next? And here we go on a flight of fancy. This is this is projection and and just the let's let's argue this to the extreme and see how much her imagination can take us down the path of, of where it could lead us. Will police stop pregnant women driving across the border? Hardly. Will the government monitor our menstrual cycles? Raid pharmacies searching for outlawed contraceptives like IUDs? Will pregnant women be harassed by vigilantes? Look at that. Look at the fevered imagination here. Has that been a problem in the past? Have, have we seen that? How many healthcare workers, pharmacists, and pregnant Idahoans will languish in prisons for providing or receiving health care? She means abortions that's legal in many of our neighboring states. Well, in that case, go to those neighboring states if that's what you want. The only fix to any of these bills is for the Idaho legislature to get out of the medical business, allow trained physicians to do their jobs, and let women access the abortion, I'm sorry, health care that they need. She really wants those abortions. So this begs the question, what was it like? Was it always this? I mean, was was that that open standard of, hey, you should get an abortion anytime you feel like it, anytime you feel the least bit challenged, an abortion is the answer, why everybody does it. Let's get a little bit of historical perspective here. And we can thank uh, uh, Senator Scott Herndon for providing this. He points out that abortion was a felony in Idaho from 1864 to 1973. You remember what happened in 1973, right? That's when the Roe v. Wade decision was handed down. A two to five year sentence, if you were convicted of it. Physicians successfully operated for those 110 years and now claim that they are unable well, apparently those Idaho physicians, the Idaho physicians, rather, for those 110 years were smarter or better than we have today. 
How did they ever do? How did we ever become a state? How did we grow into the wonderful state that, that Idaho is with that kind of, of a restricted attitude? This is what the law actually said. Idaho Territory was created March 3rd, 1863, when President Abraham Lincoln signed the, con the Congressional Act of March 3rd, 1863, Public Law 37-96. And nine months later, from December 7th, 1863 through February 4th, 1864, the Legislative Assembly for the Territory of Idaho held its first session. At its conclusion, that assembly enacted a law that made performing an abortion a crime except when a physician deemed it necessary to save the pregnant woman. So there you go. That is a reasonable exception. Every person who shall administer or cause to be administered or taken any medicinal substance or shall use or cause to be used any instruments whatever with the intention to procure the miscarriage of any woman then being with child and shall thereof be duly convicted shall be punished by imprisonment in the territorial prison for a term of not less than two years nor more than five years, provided that no physician shall be affected by the last clause of this section who in the discharge of his professional duties deems it necessary to produce the miscarriage of any woman in order to save her life. I'm sorry, but that, that actually sounds like a fairly reasonable standard. It's not exactly, you know, abortions for everybody, you know, let's all have one to celebrate how free we are. This is a very reasonable standard of sanctity of life with also the understanding that there may be times when it may be regrettably necessary. You know, the case of an ectopic pregnancy or something like that. All right. Having said that, there's a, there's a little uh, kerfuffle going on right now in the Nampa School District about a psych class that is teaching kids radical gender theory. If the kids in this class do not adopt this radical gender theory, they fail the test. Huh. Somebody wants these kids thinking in line with, uh, what's that agenda called? Oh, yes, the woke agenda. Thank you, Senator Brian Lenny, for pointing this out. He says, tell the uh, Nampa School Board what you think or don't. There are shows to binge on Netflix. Am I right? Well, he's got a point. Let's look at a couple of questions from this. One of the questions is, given the following definition, how many genders are there? Gender is a sociological construct of both how one sees oneself and society's expectation of masculinity and femininity. So the answer given is two. That's incorrect. Oh, well, okay, let's try another question here. Is gender a choice? No. Incorrect. I see. I sense that there are attitudes that, that are being enforced here. Is sexual attraction a choice? Yes. Incorrect. <laughs> you can just imagine that uh, somebody has a bit of an agenda here, and they want kids to adopt those ideals. Now, I'm not suggesting that this is what every teacher in school is doing. I'm not suggesting that this is what uh, is happening in every school. But it's very clear that there are some people who have taken it upon themselves to become indoctrinators or, um, how could I put this? Uh, they're, they're, they're influencers. The term groomer may be a bit harsh, but they're influencers trying to get kids to consider that this is normal, this is natural. Look, hey, you might be gay, you might be gender fluid. Maybe you should explore it. And all I'm asking is... Uh, why is that a part of school? I mean, these are questions these these people may these young people may ask themselves throughout their lives as they grow older. I mean, there's but there's a time, a very short period of time where they actually have the the privilege of being innocent. And it seems like someone is trying to take that away from them as quickly as possible. Check this out. New York Post says Gen Z women are identifying as bisexual in unprecedented numbers, but are they just following a trend? Could it just be this is some kind of social contagion, some kind of mind virus? that young kids are latching on to so they can be part of, you know, the cool kids? Before you answer that question, check out this graphic. 
This is the number of American adults, the share of American adults who identify as LGBT by their birth year. Now, if you look at traditionalists, this is the part in purple, the baby boomers in blue, Generation X in green, and millennials in yellow versus Gen Z in red. Going back to 2014, look at that. It's maybe 2% of uh, the traditionalists, maybe 3% of boomers, maybe 35 or 4% of, of Gen X, and about 7% of millennials in 2014 said they would identify as LGBT. Look at how those numbers shift in 2017. And then in 2020, we start measuring Gen Z. Whoa, 16% in 2022, boom, 19.7%. But look at the other numbers. With the exception of the millennials, most everybody else stays right about the same. 1.7 for the traditionalists, 2.7 for the boomers, 3.3 for Gen X. Okay, what happened in that time? I don't think it's a matter of, well, that's uh, just everybody born in that time. You know, genetics kicked in and somehow, you know, they all discovered that they were gay. I don't think that's it at all. I think what happened was a whole lot of activism started picking up during that time and young, impressionable minds were led down the primrose path into believing that this is acceptable, this is good, this is normal, this is fashionable, and it's something that they need to be a part of. By the way, <clears throat> you'll, you'll see some, some uh, stories reporting on this, although I'll, I'll show you. The way they report on this is very different. A Boise school teacher and LGBT pride volunteer, Eric McDermott, has been arrested on charges of raping a 16-year-old boy. Not just having a sexual relationship, raping a 16-year-old boy he once taught in school. But the Idaho media is not real keen on reporting that, uh, you know, that connection as a volunteer, an LGBT pride volunteer. This is how they reported allegations against a Fairmont junior high instructor follow news that a social worker at the school was was allegedly abusing a young teenager. No mention whatsoever of the rainbow flag under which he was operating and, and under which he was serving the children. Kind of a, an interesting omission. Rather curious, wouldn't you say? All right, let's shift our, our thinking to another type of innocence. Oh, the press in Idaho loves to hate on Ammon Bundy. And Ammon's been in the news here lately. He's facing uh, custody plus new Idaho Supreme Court filings related to the St. Luke's case. So says the Idaho press in a recent story. They report that uh, Judge Lynn Norton is going to issue a warrant of attachment. I believe that was actually issued yesterday against Ammon Bundy, which would involve law enforcement taking Bundy into custody. Now, keep in mind, this is for a civil case. This is not a criminal case. This is a civil case, according to lawyer Eric Stidham, whose uh, mantra is, hell hath no fury like the lawyer of a corporation scorned. That would be for St. Luke's. He's uh, been retained by the St. Luke's health system. Norton found probable cause that, uh, that Bundy violated a court order, Stidham said. Stidham said Bundy's bail will be set at $10,000. Bundy will be arraigned after he is taken into custody. Now, again, this is a civil case. This is about money, but it seems like maybe there, there's something more going on here. In a text to the Idaho Press, Bundy said a warrant was issued for his arrest. He also asked why St. Luke's and the judge don't just enter a default judgment against him and close the case. Again, it's a civil case. If you don't show up to a civil case, typically they will just enter a default judgment. Okay, fine. We find against you. Boom. Now you have to pay this. So Bundy said, why doesn't the judge just rule that St. Luke's wins the case? They must want more from me than money. Now, just today, a little bit earlier this morning, Ammon released a video about 15 minutes long in which he said, okay, St. Luke's, I'm, I'm going to follow the, the scripture. 
Testament about if, if thine enemy sue thee for thy, clo- thy uh, coat, give him thy cloak also. And so he says, he walks through, through his uh, home and through his, his property and says, look, this is mine, this is mine, come and take it all. You can have it all, just leave me alone. How do you suppose they're gonna gonna behave? I have a hunch that uh, you know, Mister Stidham is probably has uh, more than a fair share of Shylock in him, and is gonna want a pound of flesh in addition to the money. But isn't that curious? Here's a here's a headline from the Idaho Capital Sun: Judge issues warrant for Ammon Bundy, who's ignored St. Luke's lawsuit for nearly a year. St. Luke's continues its legal case against Bundy, his friend Diego Rodriguez, despite their refusal to comply with the court. Look, it's a civil case. This is not a criminal case. They don't need to be dragged into court. Not responding is just, it's telling the court, I don't care enough to, to fight this or to, to stand up against it. But, uh, but you're, you're hearing a bunch of hand ring. Oh, this is making a mockery of our, our court system and something has to be done. Oh, but it gets even more intense. You know, now, now it's claims that somehow this is going to shake the faith in the system. Look, if you can't see that the system is being weaponized and being used to engage in lawfare against both Mr. Bundy as well as Mr. Rodriguez, I don't know what to tell you. May the scales fall from your eyes at some point, hopefully before it's you that's being targeted. But if it can be done to them, it can be done to you, especially in light of, of what Ammon, you know, actually what, what landed him in that civil case. An Idaho judge says the Idaho Capital Sun issued a civil arrest warrant Tuesday for Ammon Bundy after he repeatedly failed to appear in court or respond to a lawsuit filed by St. Luke's Health System. You understand, of course, when they say respond to a lawsuit, they have been sending him multiple reams of paper on a daily basis. They're burying him in paperwork. This is the blank check that was given to, to the law firm for which Stidham works, and they were just told, you know, get this guy, destroy him, make him pay. Ada County Judge Lynn Norton says she found probable cause that, that Bundy committed uh, contempt and set his bail at $10,000, a figure she, figure she called reasonable. Whatever you say, Your Honor. Bundy wasn't present in the courtroom, though several of his supporters were. St. Luke's last May filed a lawsuit against Bundy, his gubernatorial campaign, and other business entities, as well as his friend Diego Rodriguez and Rodriguez organizations. Protests over not just the hospitalization, but the medical kidnapping of Rodriguez's infant grandson last year resulted in the redirection of emergency services and a lockdown of the downtown Boise campus, which the, uh, the health system is saying was simply a grift to enrich themselves and boost their own publicity. Wow. That is uh, that is rich. I don't think either Diego or Ammon uh, has has exactly been raking in the bucks on it. It's cost both of them quite a bit. But Ammon, as he had said in in a, a press release that he released a few weeks ago, says as much pain as it has involved, as much cost as it has involved, it was the right thing to do to stand up for this innocent child being taken from his family under false pretenses and coercive pretenses. You know, by by missing a doctor's appointment, this child was never in danger. They had a, a foster family lined up and ready to go that night. You wouldn't do that if he was in severe malnutrition and they needed to keep him at the hospital to keep him safe. No. So there's, there's a lack of truth-telling on the part of St. Luke's, on the part of the Idaho Department of Health and Welfare, on the part of Meridian Police. And, and I know this is hard for people to hear because these are institutions that we want to have faith in. We want to know. We can trust these people. They have, you know, some very serious uh, responsibilities, life-affecting responsibilities. And when they behave in, in ways that are um, beneath those responsibilities or that are unethical or in some cases just downright evil, don't you have a duty to call that out? 
Well, that's what Ammon did, and that is why he is being punished. He has damaged their standing in the public's eyes by showing people what they were doing. Now, Rodriguez says he and Bundy have not made any profit from the child protection case. How sick and twisted could someone possibly be to even imagine that I was engaging in a grift, as they call it? By the way, grift is kind of a uh, it's kind of a progressive cuss word for anybody who is making a living without the the uh, express permission of those people who wish to control them. They never would use that to describe polit- politicians or their political hangers on, you know, the rent seekers out there. But, oh, anybody who's out there, you know, able to make a living, you know, without uh, without our license and without our permission is is a grifter. Go figure. He says that I was trying to gain money or publicity from the kidnapping of my grandson. He says, no, this level of depravity is rare, and one can only assume that the plaintiffs or their counsel are acting in perfect alignment with the textbook psychological definition of projection, which means that they accuse you of doing what they would do. Normal, decent, and honest citizens with integrity would never think to use the most horrifying experience in their entire life, the kidnapping of a precious baby, in this case, my own grandson, for profit. Funny, I'm not hearing that uh, a whole lot, you know, from, uh, you know, the government officials involved and particularly the uh, the St. Luke's uh, people involved. But notice this disclaimer at the end of the story in the Idaho Capital Sun. Healthcare providers said they worried not only about the safety of their families, their homes and their cells. These are the ones who participated in that medical kidnapping. They also worried that parents would be reluctant to take their children to St. Luke's Boise campus, the location of Idaho's only children's hospital. Well, do you blame them? If they know that something as simple as missing a doctor's appointment could land them in all kinds of legal trouble and the possibility of their child being kidnapped under the color of law, you're dang right people should be hesitant about taking their kids there. Oh, editor's note, St. Luke's is a financial sponsor of Boise State Public Radio, which contributed to this story, but had no input or editorial control over this story. We promise. (laughs) All right, here's the rest of the controversy. The sheriff's office in Jim County, they've been serving Ammon papers, you know, day in and day out. It was private process servers. Then Ammon started to have those process servers trespass simply because he was being uh, terrorized and harassed by them around the clock. And and finally, he said, enough. So the sheriff of Jim County actually uh, said, look, this, this has to stop. And this, these are some of the things he said in the letter that he wrote on April 12th. He says, to whom this may concern, the Jim County Sheriff's Office has been utilized for civil services on Ammon Bundy. In the course of providing this intermediary service, as the Sheriff's Office does for anyone requesting the services, service on Ammon Bundy is becoming a concern. Mr. Bundy has avoided service, and when he is contacted, he's becoming more and more aggressive with with his behavior with the civil paper servers. Now, the Sheriff is, is not wrong about this. Ammon is getting more and more disturbed by this. But again, this is happening on almost a daily basis. And if you watch the video that he published earlier today, he will show you. This is one package that arrived in one day. There's at least seven or eight different filings, different briefs, different things that he has to respond to. It's lawfare. That's the term for it. They are trying to bury him. The, the process is the punishment. And, and it's it's meant to demoralize, to crush, to bankrupt without ever having to, to face you know an actual jury, which might actually see through the process. The sheriff goes on to say, I talked with Mr. Bundy via telephone on April 10th. Mr. Bundy expressed to me that he feels like he is being harassed by all the papers that have been served on him by mail and personnel service. Mr. Bundy went on to say that he is at his breaking point. By the tone in his voice, I believe he is. In my opinion, if this continues, there is potential for someone getting hurt. My concern is with the safety of process servers and my deputies. I do not want to risk harm. Look at these last words over a civil issue. 
So why do they keep pushing this? You know, Ammon has, has told St. Luke's, whatever you want, whatever you want that is mine, come and take it. It's just material things. And he's, believe it or not, he's actually a pretty savvy guy, pretty good businessman. He can rebuild. He can definitely come back from it and, and he can, uh, can start over if he needs to. But it isn't, it isn't his, just his things or it isn't just his money that they want. They want this man's life. They want him crushed. They want him in prison. I think really they want him dead. And it, I would, I would uh, go so far as to say that there's, there's a bit of bloodlust that seems to come through a lot of the mainstream media reporting as well. Well, are we going to see a shootout or something like that? Ammon has never acted out violently against anybody. He has acted defensively. If you saw the video from Bundy Ranch back in 2014, where his aunt was being manhandled by a BLM agent and he got tased not once, but I think three times. And yeah, he's, he's not a person who's encouraged violence, but he has been pressed and pressed and pressed. And when you take from a guy, everything, there's one of two things that happens. Um, I think it was Solzhenitsyn who said, uh, once you have taken everything you can take from a man, he's free. That's because you have nothing left to leverage against him. I remember when Ammon was awaiting trial down in Pahrump, Nevada, sitting in prison, and they, they put him in solitary confinement. They, everything they could do to make him miserable. And there came a point finally where they were like, you will do as we say or else. And he's like, or else what? You're going to take away my birthday? There is nothing that you can take from me at this point. And, and his jailers were furious because he was right. There was nothing they could do. Now, the second possibility is that when you take everything from a man, he suddenly has nothing to lose. And that's a pretty dangerous situation to put somebody into. Um, Ammon has been far more patient and long-suffering than a lot of people would have been. I'm not uh, saying that he's uh, justified in using violence, but I'm saying that uh, he's not the one who is being the aggressor here. It's the people who are determined to crush him and who are determined to break him. And, and again, over what? It's a civil case. I don't know. It, it speaks to some really interesting motives on the part of uh, St. Luke's, as well as people at the Idaho State Police, as well as people within the judicial system. And this case is actually on its way, likely, to the Idaho Supreme Court. I know a writ of memorandum was uh, was uh, done, or a writ of mandamus, rather, was done here just uh, within the last day or so. So it's very likely they're going to be hearing more about this, and we'll see what comes of it. My question to you is, what would it take for you to consider that uh, perhaps... The state is overstepping its bounds and is going too far in its effort to break a guy who was simply standing up against an injustice and peacefully at that. Oh, I know he was arrested for trespassing. Oh, he raised a ruckus. But it was the life of an innocent child that was at stake here. I mean, at what point did you just shrug your shoulders? And, well, it's the law. You know, they're just doing their jobs. I guess we just go along with it. It's pretty easy to sit back and criticize when you're the one just sitting in a comfy chair. The people who actually have skin in the game, I don't know. I'm inclined to give them the benefit of the doubt simply because uh, all the state understands is force. It's like a giant, mentally challenged toddler that uh, just wants to hammer everything that it sees into submission. And it's been weaponized and it's been used against Ammon Bundy. And even if you don't agree with a single thing that he thinks, don't think that it couldn't happen to you. I'm Brian Hyde, and this is Nowhere to Hide. Are biased, the Idaho Press Club are biased, all media, newspaper, radio. To be completely blunt here, Brian, and there are plans to expand indoctrination. That's right. Well, Idahoans are also concerned. Horror shot. That line would be moving a little bit farther west. I'm like crying. Nobody wants to Dark see. Dark money is influencing policy in our state. Well, that's not how this works.